to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guderlei, and I'm here on the show today with Erin Athene from Purpose5. She's the managing partner and founder of Purpose5. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you, Julian. Well, Erin, it's great to have you here. You are a serial entrepreneur in Victoria, British Columbia, and have done a lot of different things. So I'd love to just start kind of with a little bit of an overview of career, because I'm, I'm personally actually really impressed and inspired by it. Maybe give us like a little bit of, of a, a tour that led you to Purpose 5. Sure. Well, it kind of started in Seattle. Uh, so basically, I'd say the beginning of my career was really just trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to learn how to provide value. I was actually, some of my best learning came out of direct marketing, which is, I know can sometimes be sleazy or not not the greatest, but I gleaned a lot of value out of it about understanding the psychology of people and understanding leadership and understanding business. But the company that I was involved with back then actually went bankrupt after I'd invested, uh, gosh, about three years of my life into that and uh, built up quite a bit of equity in the company and so that actually was real blessing in disguise. It led me on a journey of inquiry where I was really curious. I realized when that company failed, I thought, gosh, I had no idea how to evaluate company, really. Like, how do you tell a good company? I just had kind of blindly uh, invested my time and energy into building this company and building up shares in this company and but without knowing, you know, the broader picture and understanding what, for instance, sophisticated investors look for in companies. And so that was my question, so to speak. It was, I just kind of had an open-ended question. And of course, as I'm sure you know, when you have these open-ended questions, sometimes, however you believe it, God, the universe, whoever brings you the answers that you're looking for. So I actually uh, by a very strange circumstance that I won't go into, ended up meeting the co-founder of Puget Sound Venture Club, which is the oldest in angel investment group in the Pacific Northwest. And, and through that meeting, I asked him, can I ever, I know most of what you do is very confidential, but if there's anything that's not, would it be okay if I ever sat in on a meeting just to oh, try wow. to understand yeah like what do you guys look for in companies you know they're constantly looking at all these ceos pitch their companies and so and I, obviously they have criteria that they're looking for and i was really curious about what that is because i i didn't want to make another bad decision you know in terms of where i invested my time and energy in my career so what started out as one little question, could I ever sit in on one meeting perhaps, turned into a four-year mentoring relationship where his name was Gary. He would call me like on a Friday and he'd say, what are you doing this weekend? And I'd say, well, you know, I don't know, like didn't have big plans. What's up? And he'd say, I have 40 business plans that need to be reviewed and graded and we're, you know, this is all for like an early stage investors forum. So if they have to review tons of business plans and then, you know, decide based on their criteria, and these are using venture capital criteria and angel investor criteria, who they're going to let pitch in the angel investor forum. So anyway, that's what I did with my weekends and my life when I was not uh, working a day job. And that is how I, I just dove in. And so just I volunteered 
for yeah. free. Nobody paid me to review hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of business plans. I would sit through countless pitches from CEOs and be listening from that perspective of the investor to see if this right. seemed like it was valuable to have them. Uh, In- incredible. You kind of dove, dove off the deep end, I think. Uh, yeah. Just the expression, like just all the way in. You must have read like hundreds of different business ideas and then seen how that also turns out for possible investment and follow-up. So yeah, I, I yeah. can't imagine a better way to, to learn, actually. Well, it was phenomenal. And I, I mentioned why I specifically said I volunteered, I wasn't paid for this, is because it came out of a real inquiry and a real like life question and life passion. And I would have done it paid or unpaid. And, and the reason I mentioned that is because I find a lot of people, sometimes they'll only do stuff if they're paid for it. And it's like, well, you can do that. And that's totally valid approach. However, what I've found is some of the most valuable learning I've ever gotten. I just volunteered, showed up, did it, and ended up making, you know, creating multi-million dollar software company out of that just not out of that specifically but just because of the learning that i got so that level of of readiness awareness but then also all the know-how you've learned yeah yeah so where you were asking where did it all start like that was the inquiry and then eventually i just i met this geek out of microsoft who is a guy that had resigned out of microsoft because he had this software idea and he said i really want to try it out and at this point i knew enough about how to assess certain factors that i could see so i said well send me your business plan send me your resume And um, also, can you set up a meeting at Microsoft with some of your colleagues and your peers? And I just want to listen. I just want to be in the room. And not that I know, at the time, I had no background in technology, no experience with it, but I just knew enough to listen. And just really, I was listening to the people and the body language and the whole um, kind of the cues about it. So I read his business plan. Uh, It wasn't that great. It was okay. But, but I wasn't worried about that because like, well, I could write a business plan. So I was really more just looking for what did he have from, you know, already. And like, okay, great. That's an area I could actually be an asset. I could help with that part. I can write the business plan. Um, the technology I can't help with. So then I went into this meeting at Microsoft and listened to him talk to his peers and his colleagues. And what I saw in that meeting was all of them argue and argue and argue through the whole meeting. And the very end, all the other guys there all sat back in their chairs and they went, if you can make that work, you might have something. And it's not much to go on, but it was enough for me to go, okay, like he just spent the last hour arguing with some really brilliant technologists. And at the end of it, they did all sit back and say, if you can make that happen, then you might have something there. And so I thought, that's enough. I'm willing to take some risk. I'm willing to dive in. So we started that company just out of his living room, a little home-based business. I ended up, I just hired some developers. They literally were, we had to use his garage space for, to set up desks. And it's, cause it's so it's like the ultimate dream. We started it's with a bunch so of guys in the garage. Yeah. It's like, we really did start with developers in the garage. A year and a half later, uh, we were worth over $20 million. We were, I raised a series A with the team of one and a half million. We raised a series B 
at a like a 5x multiple. I mean, it was like outrageous growth. We were hiring, um, I think we hired about 40 people in one month. We were growing so fast. We took on a, we had a major customer. So we had a multi-million dollar deal. And so anyway, I'm just saying like that was quite a fast learning period. I would say what we call a hair straight back, just like for 18 months, just straight building, building, building and pretty intense experience. And we had lots of problems and lots of issues and we overcame a ton and then we didn't overcome some. And so while we, we got to, you know, over 20 million in 18 months, we actually failed about six months later. So that's, something I've heard referred to as entrepreneurial whiplash. And I totally relate. It's like you're going so fast forward and then it's just like full stop. And I had to figure out that's a whole other level of learning is how do you, when you get a a huge ball rolling and it's rolling, it's got all this momentum behind it. How do you actually stop it quickly? It's actually hard to do. Right. (laughs) And I never even thought about that part. What what happened? So the company just um, went sideways or did you have to to sell or? You know, we actually, we had some, you know, soft acquisition conversations. We were, you know, one of, we were kind of like a darling in the, that, time period of a company that was, we were hiring like crazy when a lot of companies were laying off people by the droves. Um, this was in uh, to the crash of 2008, 2009, yeah. that, that time period. We were written up in computer world in Italy and the UK and the US. And actually, we were in our eighth month of business. We were asked to be on the keynote. My business partner was the keynote speaker along with senior vice president uh, at Microsoft. And we were called the future of interoperability software. And that just means software that you know works across all kinds of other software. So we, we basically built software that took data out of SAP and ported it into Microsoft SharePoint and therefore reducing customization costs by millions for uh, Fortune 500 companies. So yeah, anyway. Let me maybe ask a follow-up question to that. So <laughs> how, because I heard like inquiry and, and failure and like, like big pieces of learning, right? So if you had an apprentice in your field or just even just for that journey, what are maybe like two or three pieces of uh, wisdom that you were very, um, yeah, very glad to learn through that period? You know, one is probably one that I guess I did a bit of foreshadowing on right at the beginning was um, never do anything for money that you wouldn't do for free. Well, yeah. So that was one of my biggest learnings was, oh, I when I was working so hard for 18 months, no sleep, you know, very little sleep, very little connection with my family and friends. I was totally focused on my business. And then it failed. You know, it just it just six months later we were out of business. And all of a sudden, like my health went down. I realized I had really neglected my relationship during those couple of years. And, you know, now, thank goodness, I was doing stuff I was really interested in and passionate about, but I was doing it with this feeling of like, we're going to build this multi-million dollar company and it's all going to be great and this is our you know, biggest 
you know, this is our big, we, we were swinging for the fences. So it's like, we were just all in on this. And I put aside everything else instead of what I would highly recommend is that you live your life along the journey. Like this is the journey. There isn't, it's not like you build a company first. You set your whole life aside and your health and everything, which I did. And then you build a company and then you arrive and then you can have your relationships and focus on your health and all this stuff. Well, I realized like, okay, that was really ridiculous. And it cost a lot emotionally and physically and everything. So yeah, so actually, and I did it somewhat because I thought, you know, we were, this is going to be our fortune. We were going to make a fortune and then I'd live the rest of my life the way I wanted to. And it's like, no, 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 no. Live the way you want to live now and be just make sure you're doing the things you're really passionate about as you go. Wow, that's very powerful. And I think it's a very clear insight is to, to not wait until something, something happens that you dream of. But like, this is it. This is it. And like yeah. find a way to be satisfied right, right now and live, live from that place. Um, yeah, very powerful. So tell us a little bit more about Purpose 5 because I'm very intrigued by the name alone because I love, I love conversations about purpose. So, yeah. so what is it that Purpose 5 is, is doing? Sure. So Purpose 5, well, we're a software idea lab. So what that means is basically another thing I learned is, you know, don't build a bunch of software and make this huge investment and stuff before you validated the market. Now, the good uh, case in my first software startup that I co-founded is my business partner had done a lot of that market validation throughout his career. So he actually already saw a lot of the market uh, needing this and then that's why he wanted to build it. So that was really well executed that piece. Later then I became an advisor to about 30 different software startups, early stage software startups at a tech accelerator in Victoria called Viatech. And also at University of Victoria, they have an innovation center there. So I was also an advisor, what they call executive in residence there. And I just, you know, a lot of my role as an advisor is to help people that are really focused on the product and they love the product and they love everything they're doing with the software or whatever that is that they're building, but they're not paying attention to the market and what the market is. Is there a market? I love it that you built something you're passionate about, but does anyone care in the world? Like if, you know, then it's just, it's okay if you want to do that and know that that's a passion project and you're not doing that for, to capitalize on it monetarily. But a lot of people do start these companies because they want to capitalize on it monetarily, but they don't check the market. So Purpose five, the intention of it is to actually only build products that are first validated in the market. So we're not building a product looking for a home for it. We're uh, waiting for the market actually tells us first, hey, we need this. And then can you build it for us? So yeah. like data-driven opportunities. Exactly. Yes. So that's absolutely, um, that's a key part of our messaging is that we're only data driven. And uh, we actually had an opportunity thanks to uh, the startup in residence program in BC that came right out of Silicon Valley, where they went to government and said, hey, government, BC government, what do you actually need? Give us some challenge issues and let's see if some startups can build some solutions for you. So we were one of those. We were in the first cohort in BC, one of five companies. Uh, we were one of only 
two of those five companies eventually got awarded a paid contract and we were one of those. So really excited that we got the opportunity to work with government, find out a real problem that they're dealing with, build software to address that problem. And in this program, then actually get to own the intellectual property and continue to sell that out into different markets. Exciting. Absolutely. I, I think it's very interesting to see throughout your share there about kind of the connection points with the local tech incubator like Viatech, with the, the Innovation Center at the University of Victoria, but also with the BC government. So we've actually recently met at an where you were on a panel about just like Victoria and, and policy and also industry about the future of technology in Victoria. So maybe give people like a point of view that you have into Victoria as a tech destination, because you, you mentioned Silicon Valley, you've worked in Seattle. What role does Victoria really play? Are we, are we actually this tech destination that people want to see, or where is that based in reality? Well, it, I think it's easy to make the argument that Victoria has such an incredible quality of life that, you know, for people who work primarily online, I mean, most of what I do is is not location-based. You know, I can work from anywhere in the world. And so why not work from Victoria, which is this, you know, it's, it's a smaller community in, in the sense of you don't have traffic jams, you don't have to wait for hours to cross town and meet with people. So there, I mean, I joke about this, but it's actually kind of serious. I, I lived in Vancouver. When I lived in Vancouver, I um, had about an hour and a half commute to this a management consultant for this one company. And it's a long commute. And so, you know, that's like three hours out of my day every day. Well, when I moved to Victoria, all of a sudden I didn't have this three hour commute. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, I've got three extra hours every day. What would I want to do? If I could do anything in the world, what would I want to do three hours a day? Oh, you know what I'd love is to launch Ladies Learning Code in Victoria. That's how that started? <laughs> That's how that started. Wow. So like, I mean, how ridiculous is that? Like, what? You went from a commute <laughs> to launching like one of the most successful nonprofit chapters across Canada of Ladies Learning Code, which is now called Canada Learning Code. But I do think that's kind of funny. And it speaks to Victoria. Like Victoria is an incredible environment and not just like no commute, but also rich tech community. I mean, really connected, incredibly involved, community-oriented tech companies. And that too, I did market research. And by the way, I did the same lean startup approach as I did with my company, as I did with the nonprofit. And I didn't launch a nonprofit until I was certain that Victoria wanted Ladies Learning Code in town. And I first just floated that out of like, well, here's an opportunity to donate. And I didn't want just one company to donate a large sum. I wanted to find out how many companies really care about Ladies Learning Code or, or supporting women in technology. So I actually got 50 companies to donate a very small amount, but that was the market research I was looking for. Got it. Wow. I love the fact that moving from a big city where you know, <laughs> people spend hours in their day in a, in a community, that's, that's the usual in Vancouver, in San Francisco, Seattle, yeah. Sao Paulo, Tokyo. Yeah. I used to do that in Frankfurt, actually, and people do that at hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, 30, 60, 90 minute commutes one way. So yeah. Freeing up that time actually gave me the ability to just simply say what else would I want to do? 
Yeah. That's a great uh, advertisement for Victoria because I think like what <laughs> commute here is you can choose to walk for 20 minutes if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, that is less for most people. Yeah. Um, very, very exciting. Maybe without telling too much of your, your secret uh, sauce there in a business sense, like would you recommend people validate their business ideas? Like, is that something that people are just not doing enough, period? Or is it something that like has a certain kind of like rhythm that could be followed that not enough people are doing? Absolutely. There's tons of great resources. And by the way, since it's a great question and I get asked it all the time and I finally thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what so many of my colleagues and other folks do is finally do an online course. And actually like, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this stuff. Not that it's not out there. Like there's tons of stuff already out there, but it's just a lot of people, it's the finding it and it's the delivery and all of that. So well, it might be out there, but clearly it's still very much needed. So please. Very much it. needed. Yeah. And it's, it's of course my own spin on it as a leader in technology. So of course, I'm coming at it from a different angle, but, but yes, the stuff that's out there, market validation training, we offered that at a lot of the tech accelerators around, even also it's uh, straight out of Silicon Valley, you know, all this um, well, well researched stuff about how to do lean startup methodology, how to do customer discovery before you do build much of anything do customer discovery. You can even pre-sell things. There's all kinds of different approaches. For And one other thing about Purpose 5 being really data-driven is we used to, you know, people would come to us and say, oh, can you build a website? Can you, you know, so we, we used to do that. We used to say, sure, we'll build you a website. And we'd build them a website. And then they'd say, well, now what? What I really, actually, what they really wanted wasn't a website. They really wanted more clients, customers, leads, sales, really. And right. so now we flip that around and we're really excited about a new direction that we're going and it's more and more common, but we've actually been certified in this, this certain methodology where we don't build a website until we first Facebook ad test all of your messaging. We do your headlines, your colors, your design, your mission. We Facebook ad test every element to find, to get you to about, it takes about eight weeks to get to about 20% micro conversions. And why this is so cool is because guess what? We don't have to argue with you now, Julian, about which color or which headline or which anything, which is normally, you know, you have a lot of designers and then you have the clients that typically are kind of at war trying to figure out what to put on the website. Instead, we do an 100% data-driven approach. We'd take we say great to the client, give us all your ideas, everything you want. We say great to the designer, give us everything you think would be amazing. We're just going to test it all and the market's going to tell us. And then we get that landing page, just a very simple little page, converting to 20% in eight weeks. Now we'll build you a website that on day one converts at 20% instead of zero, which is very common in the industry right? It's the old, it's the typical way that it's done. It's people first build a website and then they hand it to a digital I'm learning marketing. as I'm listening. This is, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Then they hand it to a digital marketing team and say, Hey, go try to get that to convert. You're like, why did we do it that way? We're going to get it to convert. Then we'll build a website that actually has a known conversion rate. And we do the 20% in eight weeks. We then work on 40 to 50% throughout right. the year. 
Wow. I, Very exciting. You can tell I totally geek out on this. Yeah, and, and that's, that, that's what I love. I, I remember last time we actually met in person, you told me about like a kind of like a random fact about websites and design and, uh, yeah. uh, and do, do you recall? Like, yes, I know. It exactly. That was a huge piece of, of, of knowledge that kind of dropped into my head there. Are you, are you able to, to share it as, as we're? You bet. You bet. Talking uh, about that, yeah. Absolutely. And it's a big part of why it's so important to have women in technology and not just women, but diverse perspectives. And here's why, because human beings have different brain types and actually has a lot to do with hormones, the different brain types and how it testosterone affects different brains. But to keep it really high level and really general and, and forgive me for being so binary, I know people get upset about the whole binary view, but it just has a lot to do with hormones. And typically men have more testosterone than women and that affects the brain in a certain way. So point being, you have mostly men of a certain brain type, which is quite uh, more on the analytical side in general, just because of the way testosterone washes the brain. And what happens is those men are typically the ones building all the websites and building all the software. And so you have built typically in the world, very near, you know, 90% of all websites, all software built primarily from one particular brain type perspective. And that means it's intuitive. It is an intuitive website and software for 50% of men who have a similar brain type and 25% of women who have that similar brain type. And I speak it in brain types because you can have women and men having different course, brain types. Yeah, right. But you now, what you deduce from that math is you've now left 50% of men and 75% of women do not find most software and most websites intuitive or easy to use. Now, now the bummer of this psychology yeah. too is that typically the uh, 50% of men that say try to use an app or try to navigate a website and aren't able to do it very well, it's not intuitive for their brain, will then say, well, that's a stupid app or that's a stupid website or whatever. They, they put it out there. Like, well, it wasn't built very well. Okay, fair, fair. It wasn't built for their brain type. They're absolutely correct. Unfortunately, for women's psychology, they struggle with an app. They struggle to navigate a website and they push the computer away and say, I'm not very good at computers. See, I'm just not a techie. And see, so you have 75% of women saying, feeling like I'm not very good at this. Yeah, Yeah, I guess I'm just kind of cut out of tech in a way. Well, Uh, that's where I have, you you see, I'm hearing this for the second time because we we, we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I'm still shocked by that information. And I mean, obviously, we're, it's all about diversity. It's not about more more women only or more men only or more of this mm-hmm. or, or that. It's, it's about the diversity of who we are as humans. But tell us about Ladies Learning Code because that is so related to it. Well, it's thank you. It's completely, and you can see my passion for this. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because so many times, so I'd be inviting, to, so Ladies Learning Code is beginner-friendly workshops for women. And men are welcome to come, but we wanted to make sure we were making a focus to teach predominantly the way women learn better, which is more uh, practical application level, meaning they come into a workshop, they're not going to learn just theory. They're going to actually leave 
that workshop. It's a one-day workshop, and they leave at the end of the day. They have built a website from scratch in HTML and CSS. And so, so here's what happens. It's not about the code. It's not about people learning code. It's about transforming women's perceptions. So I'm dealing with mostly the 75% of women who say, I'm not very good at tech. I can't do computers. And I say, give me one day. Give me one day. And by the way, we give you a catered lunch. So you cannot refuse. And it's a nonprofit. So it's super cheap. I say, give me one day. Come to a workshop. At the end of the day, you will, you will have built your own website from scratch, right? Now try to tell me you're not good at computers and you just can't do any of this. No. The thing is, you've been dealing with uh, software and websites and a whole world of technology that was not built for your brain. So what we do is to actually try to convert women to from being just consumers of technology to actually being creators of technology. And that's the radical shift. That's what gets really powerful. And I mentioned women, but we're also doing this for girls and kids and everybody. Well, that's also the trend we're seeing, right? We're turning from consumers of uh, entertainment into, well, creators uh, through social media. And I think it, it takes and requires so much education, digital literacy or education about how to actually create, let's say, proper code. I'm, I'm incredibly inspired by, by all the different things you do. And um, as we're kind of wrapping up this, this brief episode, I'd love to ask you just one more question. Okay. A more personal question. What is happiness for you, Erin? What is happiness? Mm, it's, um, it's gratitude. And it's feeling really connected with my source. And so just like that, I'm a strong faith person. I have a lot of faith. I definitely believe in God. I have that perspective, but not in the sense of being uh, alienating for people that don't have religion or that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm highly spiritual. <laughs> so, so I really believe as... So happiness is having that sense of a really strong connection with my spiritual connection, my faith. So having that really personal connection with God and then having the immense presence and gratitude in that moment, like that is just pure happiness. And it's, it's been really fun. The last little bit here of uh, just, I feel like when you're in that mode, a lot of things just happen and naturally unfold that otherwise wouldn't like you just, and, wow. and I use a term all the time because I have the most, I, I believe in miracles hundred percent because I've had way too many happen to me personally. And I use this phrase, I just, because it just happens over and over. It's like, you can't make that up. Like that things happen that are just so specific. And, and I laugh at this with my dad. My dad is actually agnostic. He's, he has no religion at all. And, but we share this joy and this love for like, you can't make that up. Like the yeah. perfect design of something. And my dad always jokes with me. He's like, it's almost like there was a design. <laughs> like, <laughs> almost like there was someone designing this. Anyway, but. Yeah. No, that's, I, I love your answer. Thank you so much because I feel like it is very much connected with what you shared initially. Like, if you just work for working and getting somewhere to achieve one day something that might make you happy, yes. I think that's what a lot of us have, have, have done, including myself, which never got me to any place. So, I, thank you so much for sharing 
insight and the passion about the projects and the ladies learning code and purpose five and also kind of wrapping it up nicely with a little insight on happiness and gratitude. Thank you, Julian. Well, I, you know what? You you actually are the cause of all this because if it weren't for your questions, you wouldn't pull out this stuff. So thank you for doing this whole podcast. This is phenomenal. Thank you for putting it into the world. This is the ripple effects. That's what excites me, right? Like what you're doing with this, it just goes out and out and out and out. So thank you. Thank you. That's the perfect kind of closing to it. I love it. I hope you too enjoyed this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast, and join me and others in the conversation on Facebook, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast on Facebook. Wherever you are, have yourself a summer day.